Well, hey, everyone. Happy Sunday. Uh, we are in week three of our message series called The Big, Ugly, Scary F Monster, that monster being forgiveness, of course. Uh, forgiveness, it's this beautiful thing. We love forgiveness when we are the one who is wronged and someone uh, comes and apologizes. But forgiveness, forgiveness is scary when we're the wronged. And we have to forgive someone else. And, and I think sometimes the, the thing that, that holds us back from forgiving others is that maybe we might be disappointed in God, maybe even angry at God. Maybe we feel like the place that we, we need to start this work of forgiveness is by forgiving God. Now, let me, let me be clear here before we get too deep into it. We don't need to forgive God because, well, we can't forgive God. Technically speaking, theologically speaking, God does no wrong. God does not sin. God is perfect. Um, but that technical theological truth doesn't always fit nice and easy into broken hearts and warped minds because sometimes we do feel disappointed with God. So sometimes we, we do feel angry at God, confused by God, wondering, God, where are you? God, God, why, why have you? God, why haven't you? God, why haven't you yet? You ever feel that way before? Like your prayers just hit the ceiling and go no further. It's okay. You're not the first <laughs> Actually, there's plenty of accounts throughout scripture of people asking that same question. Moses and the Israelites asked those questions to God as they were wandering around lost in the wilderness for 40 years. David wrote angry songs directed to God in the form of prayer. Gideon. Gideon, when the Israelites were attacked and oppressed by their enemy, Gideon asked, is the Lord with us? And if so, why is all of this happening to us? We've heard stories of what God had done for other people. Why not us? Why not now? Jesus cried out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so while we may not technically need to forgive God, maybe we need to be reconciled with God. What do you, what do you do when you feel like God has let you down? You, you've been praying for a miracle to happen, but nothing yet. You've been, you've been trying to follow God, but your life seems to get nowhere. Prayers for healing for a loved one. And yet they're still sick or they pass away. And God hasn't done what you know God is capable of doing. I've been there and I didn't lose my faith. I kept believing in God, but in a way that, that almost made it even more painful because I knew that God could see my hurt. God could see my pain. I, I believe that God heard all of my prayers and my cries for help. I absolutely believed that God could hear me. And that's what made it even more painful. Because I, 
I believed I, I had seen God do miraculous things before miraculous things in other people's lives in my own life before, but why not now God? So what do you do when you know that you need God, but you worry that trusting God might be just a little too risky Because if I, if I trust God, am I, am I setting myself up for disappointment? Maybe you are carrying around a grudge towards God or this, this low grade anger underneath the surface. And maybe it's not that God did something wrong to, to break your trust, but it's that God didn't do something that you expected or did something that you didn't understand, which, which makes it even harder to trust God. Uh, Perhaps underneath all of this is, is this bigger question that that seeps into our warped minds. The, The question of what does this unanswered prayer say about God's attitude towards me? What, what is this unanswered prayer? Does that say something about what God thinks of me? In 2015, there was a New York times article uh, called Googling God. The author, Seth uh, Stevens Davinowitz, he starts by saying it's been a bad decade for God, at least so far. Here we are seven years later about might be the same, but, but in this article, he just tries to simply research and explore the question. What questions do people have when they are questioning God? It turns out that people, um, when they have questions uh, about God, when they're in a theological crisis, they go to the same place that they go to for crockpot recipes. They go to Google. Um, so Seth uh, researched this and, and this is what he found. He said, uh, the number one question that people ask God uh, when they're questioning God is uh, who created God? That's the number one question. That's, that's a good question. That's a, that's a good starting place. Uh, the second most asked question was, why does God allow suffering? We've heard that question before. We've wrestled with that question before. Uh, but the third most common question, when I, when I read this, it, it was just so painful. A third most common question that people ask about God is why does God hate me? Why does God hate me? That when, when we're waiting on God or, or confused, our perspective can go pretty dark pretty quick. We begin to ask that question. What does this unanswered prayer say about God's attitude towards me? Why, why does God hate me? See the, the worst thing that can happen to our faith, the, the, the greatest spiritual pain that we can experience. It's, it's not doubt. It's not wondering why or when, but the worst thing is thinking that God just no longer cares. The greatest enemy to our faith, it it, it isn't doubt. The greatest enemy to our faith is becoming so certain about the wrong things, convincing ourselves of lies. The worst thing isn't, isn't a loss of faith. It's, it's a loss of hope. And when we begin to lose hope, we think, well, forgiveness doesn't matter. God isn't working. So why should I, what, what I see is proof that God just doesn't care. And the more that we lose hope, the more that we resist forgiveness. Well, why, why should I forgive if, if nothing's ever going to change? 
And maybe, maybe we end up thinking, surely if God could do something, then I would do what God commands of me and I would forgive. And maybe it's not so much like cutting a deal or a quid pro quo that we play with God, but, but we think certainly God has some part to play in this whole forgiveness thing. And God, what, what you're calling me to do, it's really difficult, <laughs> but, but at least could you make this a little bit easier by having my offender come and at least apologize, at least recognize that they did something wrong. God, where were you when this all happened to begin with? Or, or maybe, maybe we say, you know, God, you're calling me to forgive, but it's not easy. Could you at least put them through just a little bit of what you have put me through just a suggestion, nothing, nothing too serious, but, but just give them a little taste of what you have put me through throughout all this time. God, if, if you're not going to do your part, then why, why should I do mine? Following Jesus isn't easy, but sometimes it, it seems like he just makes it so much harder than it needs to be. So I want to take us to a story um, in the Old Testament. It comes from uh, the book of First Samuel. It's a story about uh, an amazing, faithful woman and her messed up family, because pretty much every family in the Bible is messed up in some way or another. Uh, so Hannah, uh, Hannah is married to this man named Elkanah, uh, and Elkanah's name, uh, it means God has created. Uh, but people were given uh, these names with these really powerful meanings, uh, not just to remind them of what God had done in the past, like God had created back a book of Genesis, all that stuff God had created, but also they're given these names as a sort of, sort of a prophecy uh, that, that God will create through you. Elkanah, God has created, God will continue to create through you. Sounds great, right? Only problem is Elkanah and his wife, Hannah hadn't. They weren't able to conceive and have any children. And Hannah's name, by the way, means favored or graced. And so here's a couple whose names are literally God has created, God will create and favored. And yet they're barren with no children. And so every time someone says, Hey, Hannah, Hey, Elkanah, it's like just salt in the wound. And so here's where our story picks up. First Samuel chapter one, uh, verse two it says Elkanah had two wives. It's interesting. Uh, one named Hannah and the other named Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah didn't. Now we think the reason why um, Elkanah took on uh, Penina as a wife, he was probably married to Hannah before, but couldn't conceive. And so Elkanah went and married Penina. And, and if you ever thought, Hey, um, polygamy might not be such a bad idea. I think this story is in the Bible because it's there to cure us of that stupid, stupid idea. Uh, so this is, this is what the story goes on to say. It says every year, this man Elkanah would leave his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heavenly forces in Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hopni and Phineas were the Lord's priests. 
Whenever he sacrificed, Elkanah would give parts of the sacrifice to his wife, Penina, and all of her sons and daughters. There's a whole mess of them, but he would only give one part of it to Hannah, though he loved her because the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Now, the Hebrew in that last verse, it, it's a little confusing. We don't know if it means that um, Elkanah only gave her a, a small portion of what was left over from the sacrifice, uh, or it could mean that Elkanah gave her a double portion of what was left over because he loved her so much. But anyways, you, you can see the dysfunction in this family already. It, it's just ripe for envy and jealousy and bitterness to take root. Elkanah loves Hannah, but got married to Penina. Hannah is jealous of Penina because Penina can have children and she can't. But Penina is jealous of Hannah because she's loved and favored more than her. So just wait, it gets worse. Goes on. It says, and because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving, her rival would make fun of her mercilessly just to bother her. This is some serious sister wife rivalry going on. Okay. Penina is, is as mean as a cat in a bathtub and, and her name, by the way, means coral, you know, that hard abrasive thing. That's, that's Penina. She's not too pleasant. Maybe you dated a Penina before, um, but she wasn't just being mean to Hannah. She was actually mocking her shame and her injustice because infertility is, is hard no matter what. But at this time in this culture, a, a woman's worth was found almost entirely on her ability to have children, particularly a male child. And so in the eyes of society, Hannah would have been seen as, as worthless. People probably went around and wondered why is Elkanah still with her? She's just dead weight, just baggage. And maybe Hannah felt that a little bit herself. Maybe she was wondering, why am I named favored? I'm not living up to it. And Penina, Penina certainly wasn't helping anything either. I think this next verse, it's just so incredibly painful. It says, so that is what took place year after year, year after year, things would never change. Whenever Hannah went to the Lord's house, Penina would make fun of her Then she would cry and wouldn't eat anything. So she's going in to pray. She's, she's going in to offer a sacrifice and Penina is there taunting her as she enters into the tabernacle. And I wonder if, if Hannah carried all of those comments with her as she came to the Lord. I, I, wonder, I wonder if they began to be formed as, as doubts and, and those warped questions in her mind. What, what does all of this unanswered prayer say about God's attitude towards me? I mean, just, just picture her inner dialogue here. God, I've, I've been faithful. I mean, here I am. I've, I've come to pray. I've come here to offer sacrifices year after year after year. I, I believe God, <laughs> I tithe. Where are you? Where are you? I've come here year after year and you've blessed that woman with kids. Did you hear what she said to me on my way in? You've blessed her with kids, but not me. Why God? Why? And year after heart wrenching year, she prayed 
She believed. She waited. Maybe you can relate. You prayed. You believed. You waited. And you had hoped, but now it feels like you're just trying to keep hope alive, like it's on life support. The marriage hasn't gotten any better. Year after year, month after month, day after day, no change. Loneliness still there year after year. Maybe it's financial issues that you just can't seem to get out of the hole. Maybe it's a chronic illness that you've been dealing with year after year after year. And then one day we wake up and we say, where are you, God? I'm, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm, I'm trying to keep the hope. I'm, I'm trying, but why haven't you done anything? It seems God, do you even care? If you've ever felt like that, that's exactly how Hannah is feeling. But Hannah did have someone that she could lean on, someone who would try to lift her spirits. It, it was her husband, Elkanah. But Elkanah, um, <clears throat> he's a little dense. Um, and, and I hate to say that I can relate to him, um, but I've made the same mistake before as a husband. Um, so anyways, Elkanah goes to Hannah and tries to lift her spirits. He's trying to be helpful, you know, bless his heart. Uh, but he, he says, he says this, he says, Hannah, why are you crying? Like, dude, just don't say anything else. But her husband Elkanah would say to her, he goes on. Why won't you eat? Why are you sad? Aren't I worth more to you than 10 sons? Dude, come on. I mean, little, little doll. And, and the, the sad thing is he probably believed every word of that. I mean, he's just trying to be helpful. He's a moron, but he's trying to be helpful. Um, the scripture doesn't record Hannah's response back to him, uh, but the Lord revealed it to me. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> Hannah probably said, Elkanah, do you want to rephrase your question or do you want to sleep outside? Uh, poor, poor Hannah. I mean, not only is she being tormented by Penina, you know, day after day and all those little rugrats, but she also has to put up with, you know, obtuse Elkanah. Who's, he's, he's a good guy. He's a good guy, but he's, he's just a little dim. And she's just stuck here year after year. She's been faithful. She keeps praying, but it's just radio silence from God. You ever been there? Just stuck waiting on God. And, and it feels kind of like, you know, you ever have to call the 800 number for, for service or something. And, and you're put on hold and you have to listen to that tormenting jazz music that keeps breaking up in the background. But at least, at least every now and again, there's a recording that, that pops on to know that, you know, you haven't been disconnected. And, and someone says, we're sorry, we're unable to take your call right now. All operators are busy. Please stay on the line and a representative will be with you shortly. I mean, it gives you, it gives you a little something to hope for. Or have you ever made the call to somewhere and they say, uh, due to the high call volume, we cannot take your call at this time. Please try again later. And it just disconnects, right? But at least that's something. With God, though, sometimes it's just this mysterious, confusing thing while we're waiting. And the longer it goes on, the more cruel it seems. But trust me, God is not oblivious to what you're going through. 
and you're not on hold with God. God is on the other end. I, I can't tell you what God is up to. I, I can't tell you when God will answer you, but I do know. I do know that God's silence is not proof of God's absence. And so Hannah does what maybe you've done before. What I know I've done before. She just unloads on God. She, she takes all of her pain, all of her anger, all of her hurt, all of her feelings of, of being oppressed. And she just hurls them back at God. And so this is what the story says. So as one time after eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah got up and presented herself before the Lord. She went into the temple. Now, Eli, the priest was sitting in the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Hannah was very upset and couldn't stop crying as she prayed to the Lord. She's, you know, pouring her heart out to God. Uh, we're not given the details of her prayer, but I imagine it's a lot of that, like why and when, why, why God and, and when will you make this happen? How much longer? And if you've ever felt disappointed or, or angry with God, my, my recommendation is do, do what Hannah did. If, if you really feel stuck, like you're on hold, do what Hannah did. Because God is big enough to handle your anger. And, and at, least, at least then you're talking to God. God loves you and, and understands your pain. I believe that God welcomes your question. God, God listens to every doubt that you voice. And I believe that God would rather have you yell at him in anger and frustration rather to, than to walk away in, in hurt and distrust. And so she unloads on God. And then she says this verse 11. Then Hannah made this promise. Lord of heavenly forces, just look at your servant's pain and remember me. Don't forget your servant. Give her a boy. Then I'll give him to the Lord for his entire life. No razor will ever touch his head. She promises that if she does receive a child, then uh, she'll make a Nazarite vow for him for his entire life, uh, that he will his life will be dedicated to serving God. Uh, so Eli, the priest who's there sitting in the chair by the doorpost, he's, he's paying attention to all of this. And so he, he steps up and he begins speaking, says this, says, as she kept praying before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was silent. And so Eli thought she was drunk. How long will you act like a drunk? Sober up. This is God's house. Eli said to her, no, sir. Hannah replied, I'm just a very sad woman. I haven't had any wine or beer, but have been pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think your servant is some good for nothing woman. This whole time I've been praying out of my great worry and trouble. Eli, the priest is a little dense too, kind of like uh, Elkanah, her, her husband, no compassion, just thinks that, that she's drunk. And, and the, the irony here is that the priest doesn't recognize the prayer of this faithful woman is oblivious to it. The, the, the person who's supposed to represent God doesn't see faithfulness, authentic faith for what it is. 
because Hannah doesn't come with a formal petition. Hannah doesn't come into the temple and, and bring the appropriate sacrifice for Eli to sacrifice and offer on her behalf. Instead, she comes in her loneliness, in her isolation, in her despair, but she comes with this authentic faith that Eli doesn't even recognize. And so after Hannah kind of puts him in his place, uh, Eli responds and he says this verse 17, Eli responded, then go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you've asked from him. Please think well of me. Your servant Hannah said, then the woman went on her way, ate some food and wasn't sad any longer. And that's it. She walks out of there. Heaven isn't opened. She didn't hear the voice of God. Just Eli saying, Go in peace. Hope it all works out well for you. But it does say she wasn't sad any longer. And, and, and I wonder if that's because she finally got off of her chest, all of that burden that had been weighing on her. Uh, maybe, maybe it was a sense of, of giving up some control because we have a hard time trusting the things that we can't control. Or maybe she just needed some food. But anyways, she still has to go back. She still has to go back to Hanina and all of her regret. She still has to go back to Elkanah, uh, the guy who keeps putting his foot in his mouth. But she goes back. But this is what I think is probably one of the most powerful parts of the story. Verse 19 says this, says they, the, the entire family, they got up early the next morning and worshiped the Lord that Hannah still worshiped God. She, she still continues to hold on to God, trying to believe that, that God is still good, even though she sees nothing, but she knows that just because she doesn't see anything, that doesn't mean that God isn't doing anything. She went to worship God once again. I know that's been part of my story. I still have. Uh, a little blue um, composition book that, uh, that I wrote out prayers in the darkest season of my life, a, a season where I was wrestling with and resisting forgiving someone in my life. And most of those prayers are me just unloading on God. And if I were to show you uh, this notebook and you were to read one of the prayers, you would say, really pastor, <laughs> you, you wrote this. Yeah, I did. I meant every word of it. God, this isn't fair. Use some more colorful language than that sometimes. God, why? God, I've, I've, I've dedicated my life to, to serving you, to, to following you. And, and this is what I have to be put through. This is how you're going to repay me. They, they weren't pretty prayers. My prayers still often aren't pretty prayers. But still during that season, I continued to worship. Maybe I wasn't shouting hallelujahs at the top of my voice, but, but I was there. I, I still continued to serve God and to serve my neighbor. Even though I may have had this grudge in my heart, I, I hung on. I kept going back day after day, worshiping God. I kept going back day after day, serving God. It's like, just as we sang earlier, even when I don't understand I get to choose to love you, God. 
So I still have that old blue composition notebook. Even though I've wanted to just throw it away or, or burn it so many times, I, I keep it to remind me of what God has gotten me through. I, I can see now on the other side of it, what God has gotten me through. And, and I know now that that season of my life, it wasn't a wasted season. See, a, a waiting season doesn't necessarily mean that it's a wasted season. When you feel like, like you're just waiting and what's the point of this? It doesn't mean that God isn't doing something. It doesn't mean that it is a wasted season of your life. Now in Hannah's case, God heard Hannah's prayer. God answered Hannah's prayer, gave her a child named Samuel, which his name means God has heard. Samuel grows up and becomes a prophet who will then anoint uh, King David, the line that Jesus came from. It's a great story that may happen for you, but also that may not happen. And I can't tell you why or why not it'll happen, but I can promise that if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't work out the way that you want it to, that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. That God is still a good, even if you don't see it, even if you're still questioning and confused, God still hears you, even though you may not have the proof of being heard. I think of what the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians 13, and we'll just wrap up with this. He says, now we see a reflection in a mirror or we see through a glass dimly, darkly. Then in the future, we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain these three. And the greatest of these is love. And, and, and even, even if you don't see it all, right now, even though you only may know in part right now, even though we don't have all the answers to all of our prayers right now, while we wait in the meantime, while we wait for the, the then to come, what Paul says is what we do have now is faith, and hope, and love. These are the things that remain. These are the things that endure. These are the things that will get you through that. There is still a reason to sing. There's still a reason to keep hope alive. There, there's still a reason to love. And if you've turned your back on God, or if you've got a grudge that you've been carrying around against God, please hear me when I say this, God does not hate you. God loves you. God is a forgiving God, wanting, begging, running towards you, pursuing you, asking you to come back because God is so willing to listen. God hears you, even though you may not have the proof now. We hope with faith of what we will see then. Let me pray for us. So God, thank you. Thank you for hearing us. Lord, just remind us of that truth. That when we question, when we doubt, remind us, God, that you're always listening. 
even though we may not feel it, that's where faith comes in. Increase our faith, Lord, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that you are with us, that your promise is still true, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are good. Even though we may bite our lips as we try to bless your name, we pray for your comfort. We pray for your peace. God, maybe that means that we, we got to get some of this stuff off of our chest. Maybe that means that we have to give up some control, deal with our trust issues and learn to trust you. God, whatever it is, Lord, you know, and we pray just that, that very simple, very powerful prayer. Be near, be near to me, be near to the brokenhearted. Give me faith. Give me faith to trust in your promises. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen.